0: Hello, and welcome to the Pacing the Pacers podcast. This is Nat Newell. I'm the Pacers editor for Star, and I am here with James Boyd, our Pacers insider. Well, James, I've been here for the entire Lance Stephenson uh, experience, (laughs) so I'm familiar with that. Uh, But this was your first experience with it. Uh, Just sort of take us through... What was, I think it's fair to say, the best night of the Pacers season? And maybe it'll be the best – only the best <laughs> night of the Pacers season all year. So let's, let's talk about
1: it. I mean, it was unbelievable. So, you know, you get to the game. There's obviously a little more buzz there with the, the return of Kyrie Irving, which was the, the headliner, obviously. Um, but there's also the return of Lance. So you've got a bunch of fans um, who, are, who are screaming his name during warm-ups, uh, you know, clamoring to see him. And then he makes his first three – does the air guitar and I'm like, oh, this is fun. This is hilarious. Whatever. Makes his next shot. Okay, cool. Makes his next shot. And then like, you, I start to realize like, oh wait, like, this isn't just a couple of shots here or there. This guy's on a heater. And then you know, after his first quarter, you know, uh, he ends the first quarter with a step back three over James Johnson. I actually have a photo of it. I have several photos of it. I'll, I'll make a GIF out of it and share it on Twitter. Um, but I have my camera. And I was just up in the stands. I was like, I, I'm, like, I'm going to get a shot of this guy, you know, in, in, in the in the arena. And then he hits the shot, and then you just see, like, the photos of his reaction, and he just he, – it's Lance. He's, like, halfway dancing, flailing <laughs> into the crowd. And, and then you come and find out he has an NBA record, 20 points with the bench in the first quarter. Um, obviously the game kind of tapered off from there with the Nets making a comeback, but for me – I was like, oh, wow, like this is the guy everyone loves because, as he said, when he puts on the Pacers uniform, he gets his powers, and he looked looked amazing the first quarter. I mean, he looked like the best player on the floor because he was, which was insane considering that, you know, again, other guys on the floor are Kyrie Irving, (laughs) Kevin Durant, you know, and James Harden. So it was fun. I enjoyed it. I think that even beyond just the fans, as writers, as editors – you need something else to write about, talk about, a little boost, um, and he certainly gave that to everyone there. Whether you're a fan of the Nets or the Pacers, I think everyone in that moment was a fan of Lance just because of the whole third stint with the team, 10-day contract, and then basically just making the most of the opportunity.
0: Uh, well, I will uh, – I hate to do this, but uh, I will shatter the illusion that Lance plays significantly better with the Pacers than he doesn't.
1: Boo. <laughs> uh, he does shoot better. He has
0: shot 45.5% uh, overall. Uh, threes are about the same. He shoots 42-7 without the Pacers. Um, his, like, per-game numbers are better, but it's because he's played more minutes. His per-36 minutes are actually – 13 points, 6.5 rebounds, 4.3 assists with the Pacers. 13.6 points, 6.2 rebounds, 4.6 assists without the Pacers. Um, I even then went and looked at, at home, in Indi- you know, playing in Indianapolis, playing everywhere else, including with the Pacers on the road. Um, again, shoots better, 47-6 and 34-3 on overall in threes versus 42-9 and 29-1 on threes. But, again, if you look at his per 36 numbers uh, in Indianapolis versus uh, anywhere else, they're a little bit better. I mean, he scores 14.3 points per game versus 12.1, but they're basically the same. So we can sort of dispel the idea that he actually plays better. But I think you right. yeah, <laughs>
1: it,
0: yeah, It's fair, boo, because it is a great storyline. And he does, I think, have more moments um That's what it is. Here. And, That's what I mean, it is. And I really think – we were talking about this in the office uh, yesterday. Um, I really think it comes down to – this is obviously before your time here. Mm-hmm. Um, it was LeBron. I mean, he stood up to LeBron in the playoffs. Now, after he stood up to LeBron, LeBron lit the Pacers up. <laughs> so maybe people shouldn't
1: feel this way.
0: But a lot of it is – I mean, no one he, talks about it, but he snuck into the huddle for the Lakers at one point. Yep. Or the Lakers. The, the, uh, the Heat at one point in the playoffs. Ear blowing, everybody knows about, yeah. Um, and I think there's, I mean, he's also, um, I mean, you, you touched on it, he's an emotional guy, but it's, I mean, it's even beyond, he's just out there. I mean, he's not afraid to show who he is, have fun, which I think some people don't get enough into when they're in pro athletes for you know a lot of reasons or whatever, but but I mean, I just think people like to see that, even though he seems like the least Indiana person yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but Indiana clearly loves him.
1: Yeah, and I had this conversation with uh, Akeem Gillespie yesterday, when, who helped me out on the Pacers beat from time to time this season, and he was asking, you know, did you ask why you know, he's so loved here? And I didn't ask that question, um, but I told him, at least from my perspective, I think what Lance brings to basketball is a like childlike love of the game and all these guys, I would assume, love basketball. You're playing at the highest level. But he he wears it and shows it more than anyone else. And every shot to him is the best shot ever. Every play is the best play ever. Every game is the most fun game ever. And he, he wears that on his sleeve. And I think that helps when it comes to, like, you know, the the Lance Stevenson lifers and the people who were screaming his name. And I, and I kid you not, like, Nat, they were literally screaming his name. Like, our press row is kind of up. Um, in the arena, and we were right next to, you know, sections of fans. And all you hear all night was, you know, give the ball to Lance. Where is Lance? We want Lance. And an MVP chance at one point. So it was an incredible night. And if, for me, it was, again, factoring in, like, the, the fun novelty of it all, but realizing that he also made history. Like, I mean, he had a really historic performance. I was looking at some ESPN stuff who – you know, when anybody does what he does, he had twenty points in six minutes. Let's you know what kind of half right, what <laughs> kind of heater he was on, and they were like pulling out people who hadn't scored like twenty points in a row. One of them was Kevin Durant. He's never scored twenty points unanswered for his team in the NBA, and he's one of the greatest scorers ever. But Lance Stevenson has, so I, he's just one of those guys where. I feel like when you're standing around a water cooler or, like, you're, you know, talking with your buddy or something, like, there'll be some random Lance Stevenson fact that you can pull up and kind of brag about because he has those moments throughout his career that make it seem like he's been, you know, an all-star level player, but he's just had, like, all-star moments, if that makes sense.
0: I'm, I'm guessing Durant would have scored more than 20 consecutive points if he was a member of this Pacers team. <laughs> but but you make a fair point there. Um, the I mean I wonder the other thing is Lance was a a superstar in New York City as a high yeah. school player, yep. all American went to obviously had some issues that we no one should uh, you know ig- ignore uh, with a with a woman I and mean, we we don't want to don't need to relive the past here but we also don't want to ignore it right went to Cincinnati was a successful college player but then was a second round pick by the Pacers and didn't really play for two seasons right I mean, there aren't a lot of guys you know the number of guys who you know who are play that little at the beginning of their NBA careers and then have a career is not huge. I just wonder if he's a you know he realized, hey, I'm lucky mm-hmm. to do this and he's and obviously he's been, he he speaks about it now, getting another chance after not playing you know so obviously there's there's that end. I, I think maybe a little bit under overlooked part is the 2000 is it 12 thirteen the first team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals? Mm-hmm. They, the year before they had taken the heat to six games and were actually up two to one mm-hmm. um with Danny Granger being and the really i mean he and Paul George were number one in one a mm-hmm. Granger hurt his knee the next year, but he was expecting Granger to come back and he never really did mm-hmm. and Lance went from being nothing to stepping into the starting lineup he was the number five starter, but he was a legitimate NBA player mm-hmm. and then the next year he stuck and took another step up but you know he stepped in and filled a huge gap on that team and allowed them to reach the the Eastern Conference Finals both years i think that's another sort of element to um but it, but mostly it's about sticking up for you know sticking it to LeBron and and all that stuff in his uh, first go around with the Pacers. Yeah, and
1: I think the theme last night was that you know this is his, his second act in the NBA, his third stint with the Pacers, and maybe just the gratitude behind having this unique opportunity. Um, you know, if if this COVID surge doesn't happen, he probably doesn't get another chance. You know, in the NBA, and he's he's not you know playing on a ten day contract with the Hawks, and then you know playing on a ten day contract with the Pacers, and. You know, chasing these G League opportunities. But I asked him, I said, you know, Rick, Rick Carlisle said that guys who've made as much money as you have, and well, Rick didn't say the money thing, but I'll say that. Guys who made as much money as you have and played nine seasons in the NBA, they, they might not think that they're, you know, uh, 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 I don't know, terrible enough or not good enough to play in a, in a G League or to chase those type of opportunities. Or maybe their pride gets in the way. And he said, man, I put all that aside, I just want to play. And then, um, obviously, he, he's excited to be here. We'll see if they keep him around. I think that they probably should. We talked about this right before the podcast started. Um, but it was fun. I mean, it was, it was a fun night. Um, even when he – I forgot to tweet this out. He got up from the, the podium or the, uh, after the game, after he ends talking to the press, and he's walking off, and he's like, oh, yeah. And it's like – <laughs> he just lost by eight points, but, oh, yeah, Lance, like, you know, but that's that's kind of what everyone was thinking or, or feeling the entire arena. It was like, oh, yeah, this guy's here. He's back. And, of course, there was also, I do want to point out, there was a typical Lance shenanigans. You know, he got into it with KD. Uh, actually got KD kind of baited into a, a tech you know, call and bait another Brooklyn player into it. But then I think he also got two delay of game warnings and he yeah, didn't they, get a technical foul. That, was
0: that, that second delay of game where he's messing around with the ball. Exactly. Was that was, a, that, I mean, I don't, you know, they would have lost by eight instead of nine in, in retrospect. But right. At the time, it seemed like a bad deck to take.
1: Exactly. So, I mean, that's what you get with Lance. I know he had one turnover in the second half where he like just doing too much dribbled, stumbled and like threw it directly to a Nets player. And I mean, you kind of have to go with the bad with the guy, but on that night, no one's going to remember the bad. I mean, it was literally just this guy came and gave a lifeless team some life. I mean, they're 14 and 25 at this point. So I don't expect anything to miraculously change throughout the season, but he was definitely a boost that they needed. And Rick Carl said as much.
0: Yeah, and yeah, I mean, let's not forget they're playing the best team in the East, who got Kyrie Irving, a, obviously an All Star caliber <laughs> player back. They had Harden, who's not quite Harden right now, but still a really good ball player. Durant's one of the three best players in the league. Thirty
1: nine, and I didn't even realize that he had thirty nine until the end because yeah, everyone was yeah. worried about Lance and his thirty points. It's like, oh, like Kevin Durant, and it's, this lets you know how good he is. And I'll let you get back to your point. Kevin is so freaking good that he scored thirty nine points and no one really noticed it because he does it all the time. And, and then Lance's thirty points felt like sixty because it was just
0: unbelievable. And yeah, and the, and to be competitive against the Nets, I think is a uh, you know you're you're measuring everything in tiny increments with the spacer teams, but that's a positive. And you're missing a
1: bunch of guys. You're starting two guys who were in the G League two or three weeks ago, and and, and Dwayne Washington and Kiefer Sykes. So I do cut them some slack in that regard. I think the weirdest thing is that they've played with so much more consistent effort with these players as opposed to when they were all healthy earlier in the year, which is a unique dynamic. We could talk about it more later on different podcasts, but I mean, for what it's worth, it was a a tough loss, but you can't really knock them for not getting over the hump against three future Hall of Famers.
0: You mentioned the... uh you know who's staying who's going um i don't know i mean I, would lance have been kept if he hadn't gone off last night because you've got brogdon coming back prior, probably saturday mm-hmm. lavert coming back saturday is that is he coming back possibly
1: i know he's not out of the quarantine okay, just so maybe yet he's not coming so back he, he cuz he was the he was in that latest group to to go into the protocol so he might not be back as soon as the others But, like you said, at some point he is coming back, so he's another ball handler, another primary guard.
0: And you've got to get rid of two players on the roster. And so then the question is, is Lance one of them? Um, I mean, we were talking before uh, the podcast. I mean, the other choice is, do you want to keep – Washington and Dwayne Washington and Kiefer Sykes around if they're not playing or do you want to send them to the G League Mm -hmm. and let them play um Mm -hmm. obviously you probably need a third point guard so maybe that keeps Sykes around Mm -hmm. um with with McConnell being out especially um you know and and the other factor is if they make some trades do they need a you know are they going to need bodies and Lance could do that um, I guess I mean, do you have any sense of whether will you know, Lance has earned a spot? Um, and, and there's also the, the 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 contract technicalities. They, I think, I don't know if the the the, the hardship. Ten days are different or not. A traditional ten day, you sign one, you can sign a second, and then the team has to decide whether they want to keep you long term. So that his first ten day contract has to be coming up. Um, well, he was signed and played against Cleveland, so that was mm-hmm. Sunday. So um, I mean, it just yeah, any sense on whether what what some of the roster moves that they'll have to the Pacers have to make?
1: I truly do think that they will keep Lance. Um, and this, I mean, Rick spoke highly of Lance even before last night, and it's funny because before he officially signed with them on a 10-day, Rick kind of brought him up unprompted uh, when I asked him a question at practice about, hey, what about this unique opportunity a lot of these guys are getting because of the COVID surge and guys who were trying to get into the NBA. He's like, yeah, you know a lot of these younger guys getting opportunities and you got other guys you know uh, making their way back into the nba guys like Lance stevenson in atlanta and i'm like hmm okay like (laughs) you know that's it that's she named the drop and i don't know if he was like you know sprinkling some little teasers in there or or rallying up fans and lo and behold here he is and i do want to point out that a lot of it had to do with convenience and where you were and he was already in cleveland at the time and it just it worked out the way same thing with justin anderson he had just finished up a 10 day with cleveland and they, You know, the Pacers are familiar with him, so they pick him up as well. So I think that Lance stays, and i probably say that Sykes stays as well. Now, the rest of the group, I'm not exactly sure. Um, Dwayne Washington has stepped up and, and played well enough, but I don't think that he's done enough to, like, you know, say surefire, hey, he's going to be an NBA starter. He's had moments, you know, where he's played pretty well. And he's, To me, he's a serviceable NBA player. It's just when well, you got Jeremy Lamb coming back, Karis LaVert, others – they're going Jerry to play. and would be the other one who's obviously going to take minutes. And exactly. So I do think that big picture or big name-wise, the most popular of the group, Lance Stevenson kind of earned his keep with that game last night. And and even on top of that, whether he scores 30 or not, he just gives them another playmaker out there. Like he can score a little bit. He can distribute. Like he can pass the ball. Yeah, he can playmake. Yeah. And that's something that they kind of miss when they don't have a Brogdon out there, a Karis LeVert out there. So if he's able to just, you know, get into lane a little bit, pass a little bit more um that helps and I have to give my hats off to Kiefer Sykes who is not six feet I don't care what the, any roster says <laughs> every
0: every roster every NBA player lies by yeah two inches like he is definitely on their uh, height
1: so I'm 5'10 and I truly believe that at maximum he's 5'11 because I interviewed him in practice a few, a few days ago or last week and he is not tall by any means but the guy can play and he's uh, after the first few games when he was nervous and I think he got you know airball one of his shots, or you know his first or second game, and he settled in and knocked down some threes. Um, shot free throws pretty well. He's been like the 94 foot defender where he uses his size to the advantage and get underneath guys and, and kind of pick them up full court. So he's earned his keep as well. Um, so we'll see. But I definitely think Lance is a lock to stay on this roster, and solely just from like, if you want, hey Herb Simon, if you want to sell tickets,
0: yeah, well, and and he gives he brings energy which this team has lacked, and like you say, he can create. Um, offense, another thing that the team has sometimes lacks, especially now with all these mm-hmm. guys out. Um, let's just talk a little bit more about Washington and Sykes. Um, I mean, you've, you've hit on Sykes and mm-hmm. on both of them. Um, it's hard to see them being like part of an nba championship team <laughs> right <laughs> in, a, in a key role but i mean they they both played well and giving us something else to talk about on the spacer team um just sort of break down both of those guys and what you've seen yeah
1: so like i said with sykes he, um he's a he's looking like he's a knockdown shooter he was one in the g league and, and i ever see everywhere he's, else he's played i think he just had to settle in and get the nerves out um obviously dwayne washington a little more nba experience playing a few more games but neither of them had ever got like their real shot until like the last week or so. Um, and I have to give Dwayne his credit as well. I think he's a guy who's just, he can miss three shots in a row. He's going to come right back to the fourth one and, and probably knock it down. Like he just doesn't fear much. I am impressed with his playmaking ability. I know he's kind of known as like a shooter, um, but he's, he can put on the floor a little bit and get to the rim. Um, and then, Obviously, uh, both of them started in MSG and gave you know the Knicks a run and, and kind of gave the Pacers a chance to win it. And I think the theme of the last few three or four games since all these guys kind of going to COVID quarantine was they're able to like get them there, but they're not able to finish. Cause they don't have like a guy who can just create a bucket, run a pick and roll, and get a high you know uh, a high look at or, or high percentage shot. They don't really have that guy. But as far as running offense, knocking down shots, playing hard, and playing with joy. Um, those two guys stick out a lot. And I like Dwayne's uh, demeanor. I mean, the guy's just – he's just, he's, a, hes similar to Lance, not as far as just wearing it so much on his – he's just a happy dude. Like, if you see him around the practice facility before the game, um, shooting around, he's smiling pretty much the entire time. And he also has that, you know, flip where he switches it and gets into game mode. But he's a guy who's just great for it. And he even told me after the, the MSG game, he's like, hey, has the best job in the world. Me and Kiefer are kind of looking at each other like, you know, Hey, this is real. We're here. Let's make the most of it. And I think they both have. And you got to remember both of them went undrafted, you know, for uh, Dwayne. I think he's only like 21. So he, this is actually his first year in the NBA. He didn't like go anywhere else before coming to the NBA. And for Kiefer, he's kind of that journeyman around the world. So both of these guys have different paths, but I think it's been pretty cool to see them seize the opportunity and have their moments. And now granted it hasn't come in any wins, but, um, as far as, like, winning is, like, your career and and kind of proving yourself, they've done that the last week or so.
0: Well, and another thing that I, you know, is probably not, you know, talked about at all is the Pacers have not historically found, like, the quote-unquote free talent. I mean, this came up last year Mm -hmm. with O'Shea Brissett, who was undrafted, and Mm -hmm. they brought him in, and he played well at the end of the year. And I dug around a little bit. I think the best undrafted player in Pacers history is Sharunas Javasevicic. Uh, I'm gonna say that quickly so you don't realize I don't know actually how to pronounce his name. <laughs> um, he was a uh, player from obviously uh, Eastern Europe uh, who was a huge deal when they signed him. Uh, we wrote endlessly about him because he was a, you know, he was looked like someone who could be something, mm-hmm. ne- and basically was never an effective player for the Pacers. Mm-hmm. But you look at a lot of the, I mean, the Raptors are well known for this finding yep. guys. Um, and the pacers have had i mean antonio davis was a second rounder they've had some lance mm-hmm. was a second rounder obviously they they've had a little bit of success there but mm-hmm. but you know the raptors have been able to find this quote unquote free talent um and the you know the pacers have not ever done that especially well so maybe this is a sign that they they've started trying to tap into that and they'll find, and again you know we don't they don't need A successful NBA team doesn't need the Kiefer Sykes and the Dwayne Washingtons of the world to score 20 a game. Mm -hmm. They need to find a third guard, a fourth guard, a guy who can come off the bench and be effective um, and not cost a lot so you can spend more on your other guys and, and, you know, that you don't need to expend a lot of resources in the draft or free agency on these guys. So... You know, maybe that's a positive sign about the Pacers finding some of these players, you know, players like that who can help them out.
1: Yeah, and these are two guys who have been in their system. I mean, Sykes uh, led the G League in, in, in assists so far this year before they took a pause. And and Dwayne had been um, playing up and down with some of the Pacers, mostly with um, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. So both of them are have been in the system. They were familiar. The Pacers franchise was familiar with these two guys. So I think that also kind of speaks to, you know, the guys that they brought in, kept around and kept an eye on. And obviously when the time came, they needed them and and they stepped up. And I think the again, it doesn't, like Rick Carlson said, it doesn't get any bigger than Madison Square Garden in New York against the Knicks. I don't care what version of the Knicks it is. I don't care if it was a, what was it? A Tuesday night or whatever it was. Um, It's, it's a big deal. I mean, if you play basketball, if you're a fan of the game, you know, that's, that's the Mecca, that's the mountaintop, and both of them, as, as Dwayne Washington told me, you know, we looked like we belonged out there, and, and they did. So uh, we'll see how it goes out, goes moving forward with roster changes, roster moves, who they keep around. But I do think that it would behoove them in some capacity to keep those guys around and not just cut ties completely, whether it's, you know, keeping them on the roster or the active roster or sending them down to, the, to, to their Fort Wayne Mad Ants team. Just I wouldn't let the rope go on either guy because, again, like you said, if you need some serviceable, cheap guys, those are two that you can look, in my opinion, you can look at and say, hey, they've done this. We can rely on them to at least give us something.
0: We've You mentioned the COVID situation a couple of times. Just let's real quick review. Uh, it sounds like uh, the first wave of guys, Brogdon will be back Saturday. Um, he should be. We'll see. Those guys. And yeah. Lamb would be the other one. Yeah, word.
1: Brogdon. Um, lamb and Chris Duarte are all out of the protocols. Um, the guys who are still in it, TJ Warren, ding, ding, ding. Um, uh, which just as a side, it kind of lets you know that he's been around the team. Right. So uh, is yeah. it, a, in a weird positive way. Um, Hey, I mean, this guy who we've seen in the gym more, um, Karis LeVert, Goga, Keelan Martin. Um, those are the other four, I believe that are, um, dealing with the, 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 the protocols and even, um, you know Lloyd Pierce, the assistant coach for them, who filled in for Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle was out. Um, it's, are all kind of exiting the protocols, getting closer. Um, so we'll see. But they should be, in my opinion, if all things go as planned, like this time next week they should probably have everyone back from this this outbreak within the team. Um, and the most eerie thing about it was we had talked to Keelan Martin the day before he went into the protocols right after practice. He didn't look sick at all. I'm sure he probably didn't feel sick he looked fine. And, that, and then it's the same thing with Karras. Like Karras had that four game stretch. He was kind of carrying the team. He comes out after the bulls game and, and sounds off on the referees and he's upset and, and, you know, had just played well, pretty well again. And he's out, you know, the next day. So I think that most of these guys, from what Rick Carlisle said in bits and pieces, and, and for what I've just seen, um, they're dealing with like milder cases or in some cases, probably asymptomatic cases, um, which bodes well for their return and, and, you know, we'll see how it goes from there. And if they can – I think the the question now becomes, can you take the energy, the passion, the 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 just assertiveness that they've played with a lot of these desperate guys, can you match that level of desperation when all your other guys who already made their NBA money, who have already proven they can be in the NBA, who are already pretty much guaranteed to be in the league if they're healthy, um, can they match that desperation and kind of keep this thing going as far as from an effort standpoint? I know the guys are like – you talked about that. And I don't think that, like, they've not played hard, like, the entire season. I just think that there are spurts where you're like, what's going on? And that's not happened with this, this rendition of, you know, basically whoever you can get out there and play.
0: Of course, the next question is: As a Pacers fan, do you want to see the team play better, or do you want that uh, six right now? Oh number man! Six in the so, draft. I mean, what do you? What's your preference? I don't
1: know if we have any Purdue fans listening, but Nat, my mentions are always: <laughs> Let's keep losing. Let's get Jaden Ivey, Like he should just walk across the street, you know, or go to a Pacers game and just never leave. He just camp out in the locker room because that's where he's going to be. And I mean, that would be a, a pretty storybook. Like ending some like to Sumu getting drafted by Chicago and going there and playing pretty well this year and other people, but i mean i I don't think that anybody who's coming back you know or even any guy on the team that are interested in losing games, so I do think that there's probably gonna be an uptick in wins just because um you're gonna get some of those guys back, and we'll see, but this stretch right now is pretty tough, I mean they don't get any. Uh, favors coming up I know they got a West Coast trip which features the Clippers the Lakers Golden State um, Phoenix which very well could all be losses and then you got New Orleans out there as well so we'll see but um, I I can tell you right now the majority of the fans that I interact with or I have been getting you know accosted by on Twitter (laughs) basically say like, no, no, no. Like, let Lance score 60, but let's lose by two so we can get Jaden Ivy. <laughs> I think they're going to have
0: to – right now they're number six, and Ivy is probably going to go higher than that. Maybe. Yeah. We have a story on IndyStar.com now that looks at some of the, the choices that mm-hmm. are out there, it's, and everybody you – everything's know, every things can Change dramatically between now and the actual draft. Yep. But Ivy seems like he's going to go three or four. The Pacers are currently number six, and they, and it's uh and it's not like and it, and they could go up or they could go up a little bit. They could go down a little bit. I right. So it's
1: not the NFL where you're guaranteed to get a certain pick if you look like hey, you can. You can lose a lot and then, you know, get you get one of those ping pong balls to go the wrong way and you're picking uh, seven uh, or eight instead of point is top where, three. Yeah,
0: where you're picking is, I mean, they could do better. So man, There you go. They, they could pick higher. I don't think there's like a dominant number one, clear cut number one draft pick this year. Um, and then we, we've talked about this before, but you, you don't. Uh, these days you don't all of us you don't draft Larry Bird and go from being bad to being a NBA playoff team or a, you know an NBA championship contender. Yeah. You need to get multiple good players. So this is a process and um you know, but if they're not you know and, and like you say, these guys aren't gonna wanna aren't the, the players on the roster certainly don't want to lose at the same time, we haven't seen any reason to think that this team is going to all of a sudden get better. Um, yeah. I held out some hope early because of the the numbers and the close losses and things like that. But it does right. seem like that's that's where they're at. And I so. think
1: the and they're eleven games below five hundred. That's a lot of ground to try to make up, even in in, in a in a format now that has like the play in well, yeah, tournament yeah, I mean, and stuff like it's still a really really. I mean, they'd have to get on the hot streak and win six or seven games in a row, and I just don't see that happening for this And even then, they're
0: below five hundred, so you're going to get on a really hot hot streak, and even then, are you going to be the eight seed? Yeah. What does that do for you? In my
1: opinion, I felt like this COVID stretch or this outbreak is kind of where, like, the rope kind of got let go just because you're playing with a bunch of guys down. You weren't playing well to begin with, and as you can see, they've kind of, not bottomed out, but they've, you know, again, hung tough enough, but then... Aren't able to win because they just don't have a lot of. They're just not good enough. Yes, I mean, yes. <laughs> I mean that's just what it is. I mean when you got you look across the court and you got three guys who can close out the game. I mean, Kyrie Irving hadn't played in eight months. He scored ten points in the fourth quarter to close the game out.
0: And he looked pretty unbelievable. I mean the, the, that the game. Pacers
1: as a whole, I believe scored twenty, you know, in, in the in the fourth quarter and, and shot three of whatever, or five of eighteen, I think. And and so it's it's tough to win those type of games when you don't have your 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 main guys out there. But one guy. I we'll give credit to, though, is, is Karis LeVert. He he kind of shouldered the, the workload, and I'm looking forward to when he comes back. Because he's probably played the best he's played all year, and he looks healthy. Like, when he was out there, he kind of looked like himself. And, and granted, he obviously, you know, people can say whatever they want about, you know, how good he is, his ceiling. But... I give him credit for stepping into the point guard role and, and and playing as well as he did.
0: It'll be interesting to see how they play him and Brogdon once they're both back and do the role. Yeah. It's not like Brogdon was playing poorly by any stretch. Exactly. So. lead the team
1: with scoring and assists. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I, and he th- throws a bonus, and I don't really like, you want know, to forget, he had 32-point triple-double against, you know, yeah. the Nets. And then, yeah, then
0: that cliff was cliff note because – That was the third storyline or fourth storyline. Yeah,
1: because, you realize. know, Lance Stevenson went off and K- 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 Kyrie returned. So. And
0: Durant went nuts.
1: Exactly. Know? So it's it's unique, and that's kind of been the story of this season, man. You got little nuggets here or there, but nothing to put the entire puzzle together. Uh,
0: let's finish up with uh, Rick Carlisle talked about Dirk Nowitzki. His number was retired by the Dallas Mavericks uh, uh, Wednesday night. Carlisle had a game, so he obviously was not there, but he mm-hmm. did talk about uh, – yeah, obviously he had a front-row seat for what Nowitzki meant to the NBA. Uh, just sort of tell us what you got from Rick on uh, him.
1: Yeah, I had talked to him about it in New York the, the night before, um, and he you know gave me a little something. But I figured I just – I had more time to like, think about my questions when I was going into the, the second you know uh, night of the back-to-back. So I followed up and just asked him, I was like, hey, like, you know, I hear people all the time say that Steph Curry changed basketball. He changed the game, changed the league. Do you view, you know, Dirk in that same lens? He's like, absolutely. You know, he was, one, international player, probably helped globalize the game a little bit more just because of his his pull from overseas in Germany. And then, two, he was the first real, like, stretch four where he wasn't expected to grab ten rebounds as a seven-footer. He was expected to take ten jump shots. And um, I think what separates Dirk from other guys around the league and even the bigger men that, that shoot, you know, threes now is he was remarkably, you know, efficient. And that's what Rick Carlisle basically pointed out. Like, hey, this guy scored over 31,000 points. He's sixth all-time, most points all-time international player. And the majority of them came on jump shots. And it's obviously his signature one-legged fadeaway. So it was cool to get his insight about it. Um, he didn't mention specifically about like the 2011 run, beating LeBron James and, and, and the Heatles and all that. But um, he did say that he enjoyed coaching them for 11 years and the stuff that they were able to accomplish. And obviously there was a lot of it. I mean, MVP, um, multiple all-star teams, all-NBA, obviously that championship, which is the only championship in their franchise's history. Um, Dirk even won a three-point contest and beat out Ray Allen in the final round. Um, Arenas, who was a great shooter in his prime, so uh, it was cool to get his perspective, and also just out of pure luck with the scheduling. Um, you know, got Steve Nash, who coaches the Nets, and you know, people can wonder, hey, how good could that tandem have been in Dallas if Steve Nash stays and Dirk is still there? Do they win one before 2011? Do they win multiple? But um, Steve Nash being from Canada. Asking him the same type of similar question, how do you think he changed the game? And he was saying as well, he just brought it to a a bigger global stage. And and he was saying that there's nothing Dirk can say he didn't accomplish. Maybe like defensive player of the year, like, you know, dunk contest champion or something. But other than that, uh, you know, he's he's had a heck of a career and just being a fan of the game. uh, You know, one of the first finals I remember watching was the 2006 finals. When they blew that two-zero lead and lost to the Miami Heat for you know four-two and lost four straight and and then seeing him come back and kind of have that redemption moment, um, it, it was pretty cool. So it, it was fun to write about him. Um, obviously I didn't get a chance to talk to Dirk because I wasn't in Dallas, but <laughs> uh, it was a quick story and I felt like, I figured it was worth it because of all the coaches you could say nice things about Dirk, he was the one that wanted with him. So that that to me, uh, makes his his words hold a little more weight.
0: I thought it was I mean obviously an interesting point is that. Everything that we see today, the big guys who all want to shoot and play on the perimeter, I mean, I'd have to go back and look to make sure, but I mean, Nowitzki was really the—I mean, he wasn't the first big guy to shoot. Right. Um, if we really want to go deep in the uh, in the inside basketball, it was—I think it was Richard Anderson. Who you probably have no idea who. No he is. idea. Six ten uh, <laughs> center for the Portland Trailblazers, Mostly came off the bench and was a good three point shooter. Um, uh, way back when, before you were probably were, were born, and will depress myself by talking about that. <laughs> but anyway, but and Carlisle said there were some guys who came off the bench and did it. It was a very much a specialty role. Mm-hmm. Nowitzki brought it into. You know the mainstream, and that's and that's what I mean. That's how the I mean that's what the game revolves around now. Is guys yep. like him? Um, and again, I'd have to go back and look and see if he was actually the first one. I'm sure he was the first premier player to do that. And you, mm-hmm. I mean, and you'd have to be because no one wanted seven footers to do that. I mean, no. you, were, you were, you know, he really did totally change how the games played. And a lot of what we see now started with, or was at least you know, took a huge leap forward with Nowitzki.
1: Yeah. And this is a guy who was 50, 40, 90. So like when you say, you know, he changed the game or they gave him the green light to shoot the ball. It's because he made right. a lot of his shots. Had no choice. Yeah, good he exactly. So, I mean, <laughs> there are certain guys where you just say, you're so good. You just go out there and do whatever you want to. And we'll just build our team or, or, or work it so that you're playing to your strengths, as opposed to us trying to force you into being this prototypical big man. Cause I mean, you're talking about a guy again. Fifty forty nine. There's only nine guys who've done it ever, and a lot of them, I believe, all of them outside of Dirk are guards. Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving, Steph Nash did it four times. You know, these, Reggie Miller did it. So, again, when you look at the the volume of shots that he took from the outside and the volume that he made, I mean, Dirk had a, had a heck of a career, and I mean, anytime you look up and you you can say, uh, hey, I'm one of the six guys, you know, all time leading scores. I scored over thirty thousand points. I mean, what else is there to say? So. Hats off to him. He had a great career. And interesting thing is, you know, he I, I read some stuff about how, like, Luca looks up to him. He's kind of like the, the big brother role. And we'll see if, you know, Dallas has, you know, I think they have another star. I think Luca has, like, the Hall of Fame trajectory going. But we'll see if he can become as accomplished as dark. Because I think everyone, at least in my generation, um, we want to say, like, our era, our players, oh, he's, he's going to be great. He's going to be this. He's going to be top ten all the time. Like, that's always easier to say <laughs> three or four years in, but you look at Dirk's career, he played 21 seasons with one franchise, 14-time All-Star, I believe 12-time All-NBA. Like, this is stuff that is over, you know, years and years and years and years and years, and obviously you got to stay healthy. you, you got to stay good. I mean, there's there's drop-offs for certain guys, and he was one of the guys who was able to sustain it for a long time. And then also adapt his game. Uh, I joked with Rick Carlisle saying, like, Hey, you know, so Dirk wasn't a high flyer. You said all he's doing, he wasn't a high. And he was like, hey, you know, he could actually like run the floor and, and move a little bit better. But when he, as he got older, um, even with ankle injuries and stuff like that, he adjusted his game to still be effective, which is what I think the great players do. So we'll see if a guy like Luca can continue to, to kind of climb the ranks and do what he does. But to me, winning that championship, the way that he did when he didn't really have like another superstar beside him, I think his best player, was Jason Kidd that year or, 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 or Jason Terry? Jason or, Terry, I thought. Um, but, you know, but, well, I mean, I mean like – Your point's made
0: regardless. <laughs> right, I mean,
1: not necessarily from like that particular, but I mean like just resume-wise, the only other only star he had on that team, Hall of Famer, was Jason Kidd, I believe. So, I mean, that lets you know what he was doing in, in this, that, that run he went on. So, um, hats off to Dirk again. Great player, all-time great, changed the game. And It was fun to have another coach and player – reflect on how he changed it from their perspective. So um, we'll see. I know he's going to get a statue outside of, you know, Dallas's arena, and deservedly so. And we'll see uh, if anybody else can, you know, kind of take that path that he's he's gone and, and take it even further. I know <laughs> Carlton Towns like two or three weeks ago said he's the best shooting big man ever and it was basing off the numbers or whatever, whatever. It's like sometimes the eye test tells you all, like, Dirk is the best big man shooter ever, mainly because he's one of the best shooters ever. <laughs> like when Carlton Towns can tell me he was 50, 40, 90, maybe I'll have this consideration. you know, this conversation, but no. Like Dirk is one of one, and I think that's one of the – might have been the headline that uh, that I had for the article when, when you know, Rick Hall said, hey, he was an original. He truly was. Revolutionized the game, and again, it was cool to get his perspective on it. I don't, you know, get those opportunities much to write about guys who are retired, but – it, like I said, perfect opportunity. I mean, what are the odds of you playing, you know, uh, the Nets and, and Steve Nash on one side and, and Rick Hall on the other?
0: All right. Well, we appreciate you listening to the Pacing the Pacers podcast. I'm Nat Newell. This is James Boyd. Please go to IndyStar.com oh. and keep up.
1: And one more thing Lance, for, Lance is an all star. I'm going to throw it out there. I'm just joking. <laughs>
0: Lance is an all-star I actually I, I asked the question on Twitter. Fewest games for MVP in the NBA. It's uh, I, I, I should look it up. I cannot remember who the, told me. 58's the, the fewest games by Bill Walton. Lance can play 52 this year. So we'll see if he, he kind of sets a new look, standard. Look, I'm going to say
1: this real quick. Kyrie Irving is like top 10 or whatever it is for Eastern Conference guards, and he's played one game. Lance has played, I believe, three. You know, with the Pacers alone this season, he's played nine overall. So, you know, I'm just going to throw it out there. If Kyrie can get, you know, all those votes, Lance deserves his votes too, people. <laughs>
0: Follow Lance's all-star campaign at indiestar.com. Thank you.